Specialty Story, session number 219. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to talk to amazing physicians about their specialty. This week, we're talking to Dr. Kanisha Campbell, an adolescent medicine physician, about her specialty, what she likes about it, what she doesn't like about it, what exactly is adolescent medicine, and why it's different than pediatrics or maybe internal medicine. We're going to talk all about Adolescent Medicine with Dr. Campbell right now. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Campbell first became interested in adolescent medicine. Um, So I became interested in adolescent medicine in med school. Um, I always knew I wanted to do pediatrics, but I wasn't sure kind of what uh, specialty in pediatrics I would do. Um, But I realized that just you know, going through my kind of day-to-day patient interactions, I really loved interacting with adolescent patients the most. Um, So I decided to do a sub-I as a fourth year in DC. And uh, that's when I made the decision, I'm definitely going into adolescent medicine. I was really able to um, work with a really amazing adolescent medicine physician there, who's one of my primary mentors now. Um, And you know, I was able to see patients in all types of different settings and it was just very exciting for me. And I realized that I could do um, academic medicine and still uh, really feel like I'm contributing to the community. What was it about that patient population that just drew you to it? Well, I think first of all, I I don't shy away from any sensitive topics Mm. Um, and that population really needs uh, physicians who are willing to get down and discuss, uh, you know, uh, sexuality, sex, relationships, substance use, emotions, all those things that um, honestly, I feel like a lot of doctors ignore. Um, And that population really needs you to get down with them and be able to talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, then you really can't take good care of them. Mm. So you're like, bring on those tough conversations. Yes. I love it. I love it. What uh, what traits do you think are necessary to be a good adolescent medicine physician? So you definitely have to be more on the liberal side. So uh, I think adolescent medicine is really a mix of um, medicine and social justice. Um, and so you really do have to be more on the liberal side in order to practice adolescent medicine. Um, you have to uh, be able to be non-judgmental. Um, you have to treat adolescents and young adults like they're real people. Um, and like they're not little kids, not adults, but they're individuals, um, that, you know, have their own identities and they want to be treated that way. Um, so you have to, you have to be able to do that in order to take care of adolescent patients. Yeah. Interesting. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions about adolescent medicine that you're constantly uh, squashing amongst maybe early residents or medical students? Um, Definitely that one, we're not psychiatrists. I mean, (laughs) yes, we do deal with a lot of, you know, 
psychiatric or psychological issues because that's just part of development. Um, but we are not psychiatrists. <laughs> um, we are not OBGYNs. Um, so that's another thing. We do do reproductive health and, uh, you know, um, contraceptive care and mental disorders and all that. But we're not, you know, we're not surgeons. We're not OBGYNs. Because um, honestly, I feel like uh, people just think that adolescent medicine, um, you know, all we do is give birth control and um, that's it. Like we're, like we're very monolithic, but there are lots of different things that we do within adolescent medicine. And depending on like what program you're in, there are lots of different populations you take care of. Um, so we're, we're not monolithic basically. Hmm. I think, I think maybe we should rebrand it to geriatric pediatrics. That, that may, <laughs> <laughs> then you won't have to deal with the adolescent psychiatry side of things. <laughs> That's <laughs> that, funny. Does that work? All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, as you were going through uh, medical school, were there, were there any other specialties or, or maybe even subspecialties um, in, in the pediatric world that uh, you were like, well, maybe, maybe that instead? Yeah, believe it or not, I had broad um, interests. So anesthesiology was one mm. um, and dermatology was the other. Uh, and actually, there were three in allergy and immunology. That was the uh, that was the third alternative. Um, so I loved all of those um, specialties. But honestly, the reason I didn't do any of those specialties is because I absolutely did not want to have to train with adults. Um, <laughs> and all three of those specialties required at least one year training with adults. And I honestly wasn't willing to do it. <laughs> okay. And, and not, not, not training with adult colleagues and mentors, but the adult patients. Adult patients. I was not willing to do it. I always knew I was, I was like, no, pediatrics only. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. What, what is it about adult patients that turns you off? Well, it's more, um, well, you know what? They're set in their ways. So yeah. I think that kids, adolescents are still developing and growing. You have a lot of opportunity to, to me, make a difference and help them to become, you know, wonderful adults, as wonderful as they can be. But adults are already adults. And so they, yeah. <laughs> they don't change much. Um, and that for me would be very frustrating um, that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't feel like I had as much impact as I would want to have. Yeah. I, I've had that conversation with adult, uh, actually pediatric surgeon subspecialists. And uh, a, a lot of times it's a very common mentality of the kids, like they, they have some sort of syndrome or so, some sort of difference, congenital difference that they were born with. Adults, a lot of times they do it to themselves. <laughs> and I just don't like that. And so I want to help the kids. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even most of the adolescents don't necessarily have syndromes, but they're still, you're still able to help shape them. Yeah. And that's really what, you know, draws me to it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So uh, a lot of adolescent medicine and, and even younger internal medicine uh, patients, typically, hopefully they're healthy and they don't need to see a doctor, right? Outside of preventive medicine and, and annual checkups and stuff for, for uh, specific patient populations. Why do patients come and see you? What what are you normally treating and seeing patients for? So I see patients in um, several different kind of arenas. So inpatient, um, subspecialty outpatient, and primary care outpatient. So primary care patients come for all the reasons primary care patients come for well visits, sick visits, things like that. So I only see adolescents within primary care. In my subspecialty practice, we see a lot of eating disorders, patients with gender dysphoria, patients with um, HIV, patients uh, with menstrual disorders, contraceptive needs, um, 
that's the primarily, those are primarily the topics. Um, maybe, you know, some depression, anxiety, things like that, but it's usually somehow linked to another disorder, like a, like a somatic disorder or something like that. Hmm. Okay. Why, uh, a student listening to this may, may hear that and go, why two different clinics? Why not just one clinic? Um, it's primarily billing for billing purposes is why they're split. Okay. Interesting. The wonderful world mm -hmm. of insurance. <laughs> yes. The, you know, it has too much control over us. Yes. The wonders awaits all of those listening. Um, what does a typical day or a typical week look like for you? Um, so I have a mixture of responsibility. So I'm 50% clinical and my other time is administrative time. So my clinical time, primarily I do um, primary care clinic and subspecialty care clinic um, every week. Um, some weeks I'm on the inpatient service. We have three full inpatient services in my institution that are just adolescent medicine. So those are very busy weeks. Um, and then my non-clinical time, I'm the medical director of both our primary care and family planning clinics and our subspecialty care clinic. Um, so it's, it's a lot of admin with that. And then I also work on... Uh, diversity, um, equity, and inclusion projects as well throughout the institution. Yeah. What else? You're not busy enough. Let's, let's add some more <laughs> to your plate. <laughs> um, that's, that's amazing. For the student listening to this who's interested in working with their hands, is, is there a lot of procedures? Are there a lot of procedures in the adolescent medicine world? Um, there are not a lot of procedures. However, we finally do have some procedures that we do. So we provide um, LARC services, so long-acting reversible contraceptives. And mm -hmm. so that's that's pretty much the only procedure that we do in adolescent medicine. Um, so we uh, do progestin-only implants and in intrauterine devices. So those are the procedures that we do in adolescent medicine. But okay. it's definitely not heavy on procedures. Yeah, interesting. What does call look like for you? Um, when we're on call, uh, we only do, we do a week at a time. So seven days at a time, um, you work, it's probably 50 to 60 hour weeks, depending on how busy it is. Um, we have fellows. So our, for the, for the most part, our fellows take, um, call most nights and the, and two of the attendings take call two nights out of the seven. Mm. So we don't usually take overnight call. We're just basically there, um, to back up the fellows at night. And then we, you know, work during the day and see the patients in the hospital. Nice. One, one good use of the hierarchy. <laughs> you stay awake. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> uh, do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital and clinic? You know, I will say that um, as I get older and realize how important um, life outside of work is, I kind of make more time. And I'll also say that the pandemic has uh, really kind of made that happen. So before the pandemic, I never, ever worked remotely. Um, that mm -hmm. wasn't even, I don't think, an option that anyone knew existed. Yeah. Um, but since the pandemic, I work remotely at least two days a week. And so that has really given me a lot more flexibility in my schedule. Um, and it's been great. So even and even if I have clinic in the afternoon, like I'll be at home in the morning, so I won't go in in the morning. Um, so I have a lot more flexibility, and that really helps a lot with um, work, you know, work and life and trying to create some type of balance between the two. Amazing. Silver, silver linings. There's there's lots of silver linings there are, with the pandemic. There are. Absolutely. What does the, the path to be an adolescent medicine physician look like? Um, so you can come to adolescent medicine from several different um, specialties. So you can be pediatrics, um, OBGYN, uh, family medicine, internal medicine, 
and medicine and pediatrics combined. So you can come from five different some five different specialties, and then you have to do fellowship, a three-year fellowship in adolescent medicine, um, to be you know board eligible for it. A three-year fellowship. Three years. Every every, wow. every fellowship in pediatrics is three years. Um, yeah, <laughs> and believe it or not. Uh, we have had people come through and do two-year fellowships who were in family medicine and internal medicine because they have that option in those um, specialties. Yeah. And they it wasn't enough time. When they finished, uh, they really weren't as quite as ready as they needed to be. Interesting. What uh, Now I'm in, uh, intrigued. What is missing uh, from a normal pediatric residency um, that, that you need an extra three years for adolescent medicine. <laughs> what, what is different in that body of an adolescent? So for, the first thing is if you're in a pediatric residency, a lot of people barely see adolescents in their residency. Yeah. Like I've had residents come through, um, and they're, you know, second year residency and they're like, yeah, I've had a handful of adolescent patients the entire two years of my res <laughs> first two years of my res residency. Yeah. So that's the first problem. Um, I think a lot of residencies also, um, foster like fear <laughs> amongst the residents about adolescents. So <laughs> they don't really like, they just are, they don't delve into it at all. Yeah. Um, you don't, so, so yeah, so that's the first thing. Second thing that what we specialize in, you don't learn, in you don't learn eating disorders in pediatric residency. Um, you don't learn menstrual disorders. You don't really learn contraception, how to actually you know, give it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then just, I think developmentally, they just don't focus on adolescence. So people have no idea how to take care of adolescents a lot of the times. So we have to do a lot of education for um, pediatricians kind of to, to help them to understand how to take care of adolescent patients. So, so it literally is geriatric pediatrics. It's yeah, like, I, I, it, it literally is. <laughs> we don't know. And it's just reverse. Like in geriatrics, <laughs> those patients are uh, wearing diapers and, and need extra care. Yeah, I got it. Um, so how competitive is that world uh, of adolescent medicine for a fellowship? Yeah, so it's not competitive in general. So, you know, typically, like, I think pretty sure this year, last year, like, fellowship spots did not fill. Um, however, if you want a good adolescent medicine fellowship, that's very competitive. Um, mm -hmm. So the top programs are competitive. But in general, um, it's a very, it's a small um, subspecialty for various reasons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First of all, a lot of people don't like adolescents, which is, which is crazy. <laughs> so the, for those of us who like it, I'm like going to adolescent medicine because you're the only people that like adolescents apparently that are like out there. Um, so a lot of people don't like it. It's, it's three-year fellowship and, um, you know, the, the pay is not, is not like the best. Yeah. Um, so those three, for those three reasons, you really, only people that love, love, love adolescent patients going to adolescent medicine. Yeah, there, there's um, similar to the the gender pay gap out out in the world. There's the pediatric pay gap. Yes, it's, you add pediatric onto any subspecialty, yes. automatically you get paid less, and it's automatically it's yes. sad. There's and there's mm -hmm. actually real world repercussions that we saw this week with Tufts Children's Hospital announcing that they're closing, just yes out of the blue, and and yep. switching all of those inpatient beds to adult because adult they they they're they're paid, paid more. Yep. It's, it's sad. It makes no sense. Yeah. People who make the rules don't think about kids or adolescents. So it's 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 tough. I mean, we need some more people um, kind of in office who, you know, are more aware of these issues. Yeah. P apparently kids are important. Apparently they become yeah. us in the future. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
the the subspecialty world once you're an adolescent medicine physician are, are there further opportunities to subspecialize whether kind of accredited through ACGME or not um i'll say the uh, not just a few like we have people who get uh kind of boarded in um, substance, substance use. So we have, you know, so, so you can be boarded in substance use. So we'll have people who that do that. Um, HIV. Um, other than that, there's not much else um, that you would kind of sub sub specialize in. Yeah. And for the osteopathic student listening to this, anything they need to do to overcome any negative bias that may be out there? Absolutely not. We, we have tons of DOs. Um, we have DOs in my program. Every program I've been in is at DOs and they're treated exactly the same. You don't even know they're a DO. Love it. Love it. So no issues with that. Yeah. What do you wish the, the future pediatrician listening to this, non-adolescent medicine pediatrician, what do you wish they knew about adolescent medicine physicians uh, so that they could potentially hand off patients to you better to take care of patients better to, to help you? Yeah. I mean, I think once again, uh, we can help with lots of things. <laughs> we're not, we're not monolithic. Um, I think, you know, pediatricians should kind of be aware of what their uh, limits are in terms of their training and what they do know about adolescent care. And if they think that something is kind of beyond what they've been trained in or beyond what their, their experience kind of uh, can help them to manage, they should go ahead and hand them off to us. So we see a lot of kids, especially kids with eating disorders who are extremely sick. They, they you know, they come in and they immediately have to be hospitalized. Um, and they've been seeing their pediatrician for, you know, six months, a year um, with weight loss and either nothing, nothing, has, nothing happened and they just got worse and worse and worse. But that person, that kid should have been handed, you know, handed off to us, you know, months or years ago. Um, so we get them in a really bad place because, you know, pediatricians weren't really trained on it. So they don't really understand. So it would be really great. Um, if, if pediatricians could, you know, get kids to us sooner before they're, they're, they're severely ill or they're really kind of stuck in their illnesses and it's really difficult to treat them at that point. Yeah. What specialists do you work the closest with? Um, psychiatry, <laughs> psychology, mm. um, nutrition, OBGYNs. Um, yeah, those are the those are the primary ones. I'll say the people who consult us the most are hematology, oncology, um, GI, and surgery. Okay, interesting. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into adolescent medicine? Um, I think the options in terms of the career options that are available um, for adolescent medicine physicians. Um, you don't, you know, when I started out, I thought you had to do academic medicine. There's really not anything else you can do because you did a three-year fellowship. So of course you have to do academic medicine, um, but you don't have to do academic medicine. You could do, you can be in the community, you can work for the federal government um, and do clinical care, or you can do, you know, non-clinical care. And, um, you know, one of my, one of my colleagues is now like the head of maternal and child health. Um, there are just lots of things you can you can do. Uh, you can work with you know government organizations for advocacy. Um, yeah, you just have a lot of options, and you don't have to limit yourself at all. Mm. Nice. What do you like the most about adolescent medicine? The patients, you know, I think they're fun. Um, they people think that adolescents don't like to talk to doctors. They love to talk. <laughs> 
yeah. a lot <laughs> um, as long as uh, you're open and you're not judging them because, you know, the minute they think you're judging them, they will not say a word. Um, but they love to love to talk. They're really, um, you know, they're, they're fun. They're, they're, they're complex. They're, um, you know, trying to figure out who they are. And I think as um, healthcare providers, we can really, you know, have a major impact on them. And I also like working with their families for the most part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most families are, you know, actually not crazy. And most, most families are very supportive of their kids. And if you can, you know, get a good, have a good relationship with both the the parents or caregivers and the adolescent, then you're in a much better place. So I really like that, those relationships that you build with the families and the, and the patients. Yeah. That's awesome. What do you like the least? Um, I think the lack of um, resources that are out there for behavioral health issues, because so many of the kids that we see, um, even if it's not for a behavioral health problem, have comorbid behavioral health disorders. And it's very difficult to take care of a patient when they don't actually have um, the behavioral health uh, services that they need. So like that puts a lot of stress on us to act as if we were behavioral health providers and we're not trained to be behavioral health providers. So that, that causes a lot of, that can cause a lot of stress. Yeah. One of the, the not silver linings potentially of the pandemic uh, has been the, the mental health impact on, on everyone. Yes. Uh, We've, I've seen at least um, one maybe early study on IQ differences between uh, pre pandemic and post pandemic Mm -hmm. kids are, what is your concern uh, from an adolescent medicine perspective uh, on the impact of the pandemic on kids? Oh, oh my goodness. I can tell you that like since the beginning of the pandemic, our inpatient units have been um, inundated with kids uh, who are suicidal, um, with eating disorders, very like severe eating disorders, whether new or relapse, um, lots of substance use. Um, it's been it's been it's been honestly horrible and it hasn't gotten any better. Like even we thought it was because, you know, of the pandemic and they weren't in school. But even once they returned to school, it continued. And I think part of the reason is, you know, you can't just turn, you know, depression on and off. And there are not enough uh, resources out there, uh, providers to really take care of these patients. Um, and, you know, there's so many other complex things going on with their families and um, they're, they're witnessing, you know, death. And it, uh, there's just it's just been a really horrible time. So I'm very concerned about um, the long-lasting impacts of the mental health crisis that the pandemic has caused. Um, in addition to what you alluded to, which is educational um, deficits, um, you know, we know like even health disparities, like in education. So kids who are, you know, my 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 kids who are high SES. Um, they seem to do well during the pandemic for the most part, but even those kids probably are going to have an IQ, an IQ gap. But my kids who are lower SES, they, I mean, they didn't learn anything. So they're going to, they basically missed out on a year at, at least, if not more of instruction, and they were already behind to begin with. So um, I'm definitely concerned about the long-term impact of that educational gap um, because I don't know that that's going to be made up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I hope and pray that there's a silver lining that with technology, uh, the kids that the from a lower socioeconomic, uh, at lower SES um, standpoint, hopefully they still had access to a phone, a tablet, or something to where they'll get the technological um, uh, uh, exposure that we normally wouldn't think, oh, that's great, just spend the day on the tablet. But I I'm a huge tech nerd. Yeah. Like 
I don't care that my kids are on the iPad because they're mm-hmm. learning, they're interacting. And, right. and that exposure hopefully will lead to them uh, maybe going and building uh, the future viral iPad app. Maybe. That, <laughs> maybe. That, that's, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> that's the hope. Hope and pray. Yeah. That's, if we could only hope. Um, do you see any major changes coming to the field of adolescent medicine that, that may impact uh, the field in the future? Um, I think, you know, over time, I think our field is definitely growing and expanding. Um, I think we're becoming a lot more um, multidisciplinary. Uh, we're now international. Um, the Society of Adolescent Health and Medicine is a very large organization now that's international and includes, you know, people from not just, you know, physicians or nurse practitioners, but, you know, educators and social workers and psychologists and nutritionists and anyone who, um, you know, cares for um, adolescents and is really passionate about adolescent health care um, and adolescent outcomes. So I think we're just going to continue to grow and expand and, and, and we're going to try to broaden our impact and not just focus on kind of the medical issues, but because all the broader issues that impact kind of really kids and adolescents um, in our country and abroad. Love it. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an adolescent medicine physician? Yeah, I would. I would. Um, I love ad- I love the patient population. <laughs> and honestly, you know, we work really hard. And <laughs> if you don't I feel like if you don't love the patient population, sometimes you're going to say, you know what, I don't want to do this at all anymore. Yeah. So I think um, I'm passionate about it. And, you know, I don't, I don't think I would have been happy happy uh, doing anything else, even though I did, you know, dabble in some of the other uh, specialties. Yeah. And I think that's such an important uh, key that I think a lot of people in general uh, picking a career and then physicians in particular picking a career pick something for other reasons than I really enjoy it. And it, it right. excites me every day and, and I'm passionate about the patient population. They pick something either because their board scores allowed them to or mm-hmm. because a different subspecialty paid more. Yep. And then people are burned out because in medicine, it's really hard to switch careers, uh, yes. switch specialties. Yes. Uh, and so it's it's so refreshing to hear, um, even though you work a lot and, and pediatrics is paid less, uh, it, you love what you're doing. And so you're happy. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think they're always kind of leadership opportunities and growth opportunities. And, you know, you can make more money eventually. (laughs) You know what I mean? You'll get there. But that can't be the primary. uh, If that's the primary reason, like you are going to like just be unhappy and get burned out. Yeah. One way of making lots of money, apparently, is is podcasting. Uh, I'm I'm still (laughs) trying to figure that out. But you have also uh, been involved in a podcast. Talk about your podcast. Yeah. So um, a few friends um, and myself started a podcast called um, Melanin Hughes uh, Conversations on Health and Wellness. So uh, one of my friends is a pediatrician as well. And then the other two are psychologists. Um, And so, you know, we felt like we wanted to, especially during the pandemic, we wanted to really focus on um, the kind of disparities that were being seen in populations of color, especially um, where women. So really focusing on women. Um, So we've been focusing on health. And that's physical health, kind of emotional health amongst um, 
all people, but really focusing, like I said, on people of color and women um, and just trying to, you know, kind of be the voice to really kind of help people maneuver kind of everything that's been going on with the pandemic. Um, that's been really tough. And then also try to talk about topics that uh, really uplift people and try to improve their overall wellness. That's awesome. And that's uh, melanin, the, the word melanin, and Hughes, yes. dot com. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So people can go check that out. Uh, final words of wisdom for someone thinking about adolescent medicine in their future. Yeah, I think if, if you are passionate about adolescents, um, young adults, adolescent health, and social justice, this is the specialty for you. We literally, everybody I work with, we all, we all share that passion. Um, and so it does feel good to know that you're working amongst like-minded individuals and you all are as passionate about something as, you know, as the other. So that has always been kind of a pleasure um, and something I look forward to. And I don't think everyone has that. <laughs> has that in their specialty. Um, and you always are going to feel good about the difference that you're able to make. You know, obviously, I should say always, but most of the time, um, obviously they're, you know, poor outcomes, but, you know, we know, we know that we are doing this because we love it. We're passionate about it and we're trying to do the right thing for our patients and their families. So in the end, we can feel good about kind of our careers and what we're doing. Um, and then, like I said before, just making sure that um, you're open to all the possibilities in terms of your career options and not to limit yourself um, just because you might not know what they are. You can definitely like find out um, go to Society for Adolescent Health and Medicine. Um, you'll learn a lot of information there as well. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Kanisha Campbell, adolescent medicine physician, out of her training now for 10 years with lots of amazing experience in the adolescent medicine world. Hopefully this opened up a, a new specialty for you. Maybe you didn't know about adolescent medicine. Maybe you thought it was just a... a continuation of, of pediatrics and that, hey, everyone, whatever gets treated by the same person, but maybe not, right? Maybe not. Adolescent medicine, as, as I mentioned, it's, it's the uh, geriatric field for pediatrics. Geriatric pediatrics is what adolescent medicine is. Check out adolescenthealth.org for the Society for Adolescent Health and Medicine. Again, that's adolescenthealth.org. Org. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.